Psalm 23, the New English Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's remain standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a great shepherd. And though we are foolish sheep, you seek us out. You find that one that's lost and you restore. And you bring us into your fold. Thank you so much, God, for all that you do. And without you, we would forever be lost and destroyed by our enemy. But you've protected and guided and drawn us. I pray for Brother Abe as you guide him this morning that you would be... uh, speak to our hearts through the words that you have and that you would use them in a great way. Thank you so much for your son. It's in his word we pray. Amen. I've heard of a young seminary student who was asked to do his preaching assignment or preaching demonstration by his professor at a local congregation. But this young seminarian, not talking about me, Um, The young seminarian uh, had a major problem, fear, paralyzing fear, um, especially for public speaking. And so, but uh, this was a required assignment, so obviously he had to do it. So he summed up all the courage that he could, some cheers, like I have some cheering people with me today. Um, And uh, his goal was to get up there, do it quickly, and get out of town. And um, he managed to uh, get up to the uh, pulpit and uh, <clears throat> made sure he had a tight grip on the, pul- uh, on the podium. Otherwise, he would have had to give, give his sermon on a horizontal uh, plane. Um, but uh, he uh, summed up enough courage and asked the audience uh, this question. Uh, Does anyone in the audience know what I am about to preach? Uh, somewhat perplexed about his question, uh, the audience um, thought for a moment and said, no, we're, we don't know what you're about to preach. How are they supposed to know? At least here we have some build-up, you know, talk about lighting fire and things of that nature that we heard earlier. Uh-huh. But they didn't know. They had no idea. So, so the seminarian looked at the audience and said, since none of you know what I am about to preach, I don't think it's worth my time to preach. Let's pray. And then he left. Um, his professor obviously was not amused by this. And um, later in the week, he called this young guy and uh, spoke to him about how disappointed he was in him that he didn't preach. And, but he also said, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in a God of second chances, so I'm going to give you a second chance. And um, the worst fear of this uh, young seminary came through. He had to do it over again. So he came back the second time, and um, he asked the audience, Do you all know what I'm about to preach? And having had the previous experience, 
about half of the congregation said, yeah, I think, we, I think we know what you're going to preach. And the other half said, no, we have no idea what you're going to preach. So this young seminarian, seminarian said, well, since half of you know what I'm about to preach, why don't you all tell the other half what I'm, I'm about to preach, and let's call it a day. Well, this time the professor did not wait until the last, uh, the, uh, until, uh, wait for any time, and he called this young man in and said, look, enough with your games. You are going to have to preach or else you're not getting out of seminary. So, a third chance. So the day came, the young preacher had a, was rather predictable, as you probably guessed. Does anyone in the audience know what I'm about to preach? Now we had a very confused audience. They took little time to think through the previous couple of times what happened, and they decided to respond overwhelmingly. Yes, we don't, we know what you're about to preach. He said, well, that's great. Since all of you know what I'm about to preach, there's no need for me to preach. Let's pray and close. I feel like the, the this young seminarian, but in, an, in a good way, because for over 30 years, CBCers has had excellent teaching from um, Bob and Tom and others, along with others. Therefore, my feeble attempt today is to probably rekindle some ideas that you've already heard, reignite some timeless truths uh, that you may have already heard. And on a personal note for uh, myself and Bina, um, as, um, as many of you know, I work in higher education. After my seminary days, I'm in higher education now. And uh, in higher education, uh, plagiarism is a, is a major offense. We, we, we uh, have uh, students um, dismissed because of that. But when it comes to the preacher circle, uh, we call plagiarism a different name. We call it creative use of available resources. Um, so I have to confess that uh, I have creatively used Bob's Bible.org quite a bit in my preparation for this sermon. Abina and I joined uh, CBC about a year ago, the day that uh, my, our dear friend Renee came back from her surgery, and we wanted to worship with her. And uh, since then, we just, we came, and you guys conquered us, and we stayed. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and the thing is that um, when we came, we were too tired and weary um, um, people in ministry who planted church and, and be in the leadership. And we were, and, and Tom and others knows this, sometimes we need to be ministered to. And uh, that was the situation that we were in. Coming to CBC was much like the prodigal son returning home. And we have been fed sumptuous spiritual meals, um, like the fatted cow meals that, uh, that we read in that parable. And I can say that we have been restored. Uh, what we really needed was happening here. The, the love and care many of you offer us, the conversation and our, our, our small group that we go to, all of those have, as the psalm would say, restored us. And to be uh, up here uh, to share God's word, what he has laid on my heart, is uh, another uh, great uh, opportunity, and I thank you so much. Uh, for this opportunity. I don't know if I'm ab about uh, able to um, light any fire because I didn't know that my brother could do miracles. He just broke a stone just like that. 
I don't think I have the power to do anything like that, but let's uh, linger on in, in Lord's Word and see what he um, has to uh, teach us. We read the entire psalm, and I don't think I will be able to cover the entire psalm, maybe the first verse, and, and before I begin, I want to give you some general observations. Uh, this is uh, Seminary 101, uh, observation, 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 just a general, some general observation about this psalm that will help us understand this psalm a little better. Number one, the majority of the first 50 psalms are classified as lament psalms, where someone comes and cries out, help us God type of type of psalm. But Psalm 23 sticks out, totally different. It's not a lament psalm. It's all about God. It's all about the shepherd. It's all about how great he is. It's all about how present he is. So in the lament psalms, if you were to see a distant God or an idea of a distant God, in this psalm, you see a very present God. That's a big, big thing to look for as you study. Second, God stands as the bookends for this psalm. As you, as our brother read, God is my shepherd. And the last verse says, in, I'll, I'll dwell in the house of God uh, the rest of my days. So God stands out as the bookends on this uh, psalm. But then when you look in, into the inside of it, it's all God. He leadeth me. He, he does this. He, all of those. And, and another thing is that if you look at the inside of it, what started out with God and what ends with God, suddenly the voice changes to where God is standing right next to the psalmist, where he says, you refresh my head with oil, uh, for you are with me. Things like that, as if he's having... He's just looking at the Lord and talking to him. So it's, it's a very interesting uh, twist or change of poetry there. Another interesting thing I want to think about is um, no sheep is taken alone to graze. It's uh, cost prohibitive. You don't take one sheep out and take them all the way somewhere and all that. It's taken as a flock. But interestingly, here we see one sheep and one shepherd. Isn't it wonderful to know that our shepherd gives us undivided attention as he takes care of us? That's an interesting point to to notice. And then lastly, uh, general observation. David likely wrote this um, this uh, or composed, and, and Wednesday I met with the brothers. One of them said, David probably sang this out instead of compo- composing. Uh, David probably did this uh, while he was hiding from Saul, uh, hiding out, um, looking at a parched land uh, with all the adversities and the enemy on, on his heel, but he didn't see a parched land in front of him. He saw green pastures. He didn't see enemy behind him. He saw his shepherd right beside him. And that's an interesting thing to note as well. And um, David writes like this again in Psalm 63, verse 1 through uh, 1 and 2. He read, uh, wrote like this, God, you are my God. Here he says, you are my shepherd. In 63, he says, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. This is a theme that he, he has going. So... Because the land around me is hostile to me and my existence, so what, what do I do? So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. His expectation has always been his God, his shepherd. 
In Psalm 23, he's talking to the shepherd who is right beside him. In Psalm 63, he is forgetting about the parched land. He's looking at the, uh, gazing at the sanctuary to see his strength, God's strength and glory. Now let's uh, come back to our, our text, which is um, Psalm 23 and, and verse 1. I started looking at this uh, a few months ago. My um, cousin, young, young guy, Ray, in Ohio, passed away due to a pedestrian fatality accident, and the family asked me to uh, do the service and to speak. And I spoke from this, um, this psalm, and some of you have prayed while I was doing that. And um, I've been stuck in this psalm ever since. And uh, because I needed restoring, I needed, the, 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 the verb used is to bring, God brings us back. I needed some bringing back for myself, so I stayed in this psalm for a, for a while. So let's... Uh, uh, what I'm trying to, to do here is what the Lord has been teaching me in, in restoring me. Uh, that's, I just want to share that with all of you this afternoon. Three things I want to look at from this uh, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Number one, pursue knowing God. <clears throat> we will develop that from the Lord. Um, then number two, uh, practice the presence of God. The Lord is is that's where we're going to develop that from. And then thirdly, live in intimacy with God. He's my shepherd. Pursue knowing, pursue knowing God, practice the presence of God, and live in intimacy with God. Let's look at the first one. It says, the Lord. And the question that I kept asking myself was, what would have been Dave's understanding about God? What would have been... What went through his mind as he was saying Yahweh? It probably would have gone back to the oral tradition where people, all the stories from, uh, from the creation all the way through where he was presented to him. But the, if he was thinking about the oral tradition, I think there's one story that sticks out the most, and that is Moses at the, at the uh, burning bush. Where um, in Exodus 3 where the Lord says, I am who I am. And, uh, and let me just read that verse for you. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. It's, it's in capital. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. As David penned the words, the Lord, this is probably echoing in his, his mind. I am who I am, the eternally self-existent one, the, the uncaused one. He is the one that I am writing about. The second thing that would have come to David's mind about God, that he is a God who elects someone for himself in a way that is contrary to what the standards of prevailing culture is. He can go look back to his own life 
How was he elected? God passed, Samuel passed all seven of his brothers and asked, do you, asked Jesse, do you have anyone else left? And it's interesting to see what Jesse talked about his youngest son. Yeah, we have the youngest one. We send him out to, to tend, the, tend the sheep. Culturally, tending sheep was the lowest kind of occupation one, one can take. So he decided that the not so handsome one, the not so brawny one, the not so tall and, 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 and well fit for being a king one, the little guy, we send him off to, with a bunch of sheep. And uh, Samuel said, I, I want to see him. I'm not finished with this process of anointing until I see him. So David uh, was brought. And let me read a couple of verses to highlight that. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or stature because I have, I have rejected him. This is about uh, David's brothers. Man does not see what Lord sees for man sees what is visible but the Lord sees the heart. So David would have thought about a God who, who goes and elects someone, not according to the worldly standards, not according to the, 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 the description that fits the bill that, that's created by culture, but a God who, in spite of all the weaknesses, would go after and wait for and then select him. So that would have gone through his, his mind. What about, um, look at the other later generations of Israelites. Again, keep your thoughts in the Lord. The idea, what two words the Lord brings to mind. Understanding of Israel's exile. Uh, you know, you, some of you may know this already. When Israel was taken to uh, Babylon, 580 some uh, BC, some remained in, in the promised land. Some remained. Some some stayed at the uh, in the in the um, ba- in Babylon. Some uh, resided in Egypt, and Jeremiah very eloquently told them to build houses, marry, and stay, and and, and, and be productive as a citizen in the country where you are at. So some of them took that very close to heart and stayed on, but all of them at this at that point in the exilic time had this idea of a distant God. We don't have a temple. Temple is destroyed. We don't. We are not in the in the Holy Land. Then this God was distant. So they added, from my observation, they added another uh, another dimension to the attributes of God. They, God was still self-existent. God was still Yahweh. God was still the uncaused one. God was the Creator. All that remained. But then we see, like Isaiah in Isaiah six, uh, holy, holy, holy. The idea of a holy God who is somewhat different other than them, uh, who is a distant God, came about as well. So you, and, and you see that in some Psalms as well. Psalm 137, is, uh, it, it writes like this, By the rivers of Babylon we sit down and weep when we remembered Zion. They hung their violins and harp and they were just facing uh, Jerusalem and, and, and because that's where the temple was. That was the, that's where the presence of God was. So this idea of a distant God was prevailing as well. But yet added to distant God in the sense that he's so holy. If you read Isaiah 6, you get that idea that he's a holy God. And then if you bring to um, the idea that in Jewish culture, I, was a, I had a president who was, a, uh, uh, my previous president at the college was a, uh, a secular Jew, 
when he used to write uh, emails and stuff uh, to us, uh, he would, uh, if it involved God, he would put a capital G and two hyphens and a, and a capital D. Uh, because uh, typically they, they don't take God's name in their tongue or write writing. Uh, so they changed the Yahweh idea to Adonai. Anywhere where, where there is Yahweh, they would call God Adonai. And um, that shows the awe and the reverence and the respect that uh, even secular Jews might have. Coming fast forward into uh, t- uh, Second Temple Judaism, our, our Lord's time, uh, J- Jewish tradition was highly concentrated with ceremonialized uh, type of religious experiences. And Adonai still retained a very high view in their mind. Um, and that's why when, when Jesus said, I and the Father am, are one, what did they do? They took up stones to uh, throw at him. And also, that cost him a cross. And, 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 and here we are. So, what I'm trying to do is Yahweh, that idea, the Lord, is such a, it brings such a reverend awe and, 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 and such a reverence of worship in the minds of at least David and some of those folks. My humble suggestion to all of us is that Yahweh still remains the same. He doesn't change. That's another attribute of him. He's immutable. He doesn't change. Yahweh's power remains the same. Yahweh is still uncaused. He is the self-existent one. He is the one who, who, uh, who by the power of his word created the whole universe. Yahweh doesn't change. He is the one who is the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. He doesn't change. He doesn't change at all. So when we hear the Lord, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind? I found myself not having such reverence and awe and worshipful heart when I was using uh, the, the word the Lord. So this psalm restored me to thinking about what do I think about the Lord? What does it bring to, bring to me? I want to, have a, I want to have a heart. When I hear the Lord, I want to have a heart to fall, that falls and prostrates before this great God in a worshipful attitude every time I hear the word God. And um, that's... That, that happens with pursuing him. Not, God, not the knowledge of him, not the knowledge about him, but knowing him. Knowing him in a way that connects your heart with his heart in, 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 in such, a, such a unison that you fall every, every single time that you think of him, you fall prostrate before him and call out, Yahweh, Adonai, I worship you. During times of lamenting, during times of leanness, during times of sickness, and during times of dear ones leaving us as we are going through as a family, during times of uncertainties, our Lord, our shepherd, looms tall, and he is tangible. He's, he's, he can be felt through his word, through his presence, through his, through his people. Tangible. He comforts us. When we talk about God, we cannot go without quoting A.W. A. Tozer. We cannot go without talking about J.I. Packer. Two, two great books, Knowing God and Knowledge of the Holy. I want to read what Tozer stated uh, here for, 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 for us to consider. 
the history of mankind. This is reading from the knowledge of the holy. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever uh, been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. He continued, Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea about God. Just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her, for her silence, church's silence is often more eloquent than her speech. She can never escape the self-disclosure of her witness concerning God. I am so proud to be in this church where Sunday after Sunday and during the weekdays we have the right view of God. And, and, and again, in, in the restoration that happened to us, I can, that, that seconds it. So when we hear the psalmist emphatically says the Lord, it should question us to where we are in regards to knowing God. Note that I said, again, not knowledge of God or about God, but knowing God. Knowing God should be a passionate pursuit for each of us because the deeper we know him, the loftier our worship and adoration of him becomes. A, fam- the, a famous quote from Packer sums this idea well. Packer wrote, and, and in fact, in one of his quotes, says, his name is J.I. Packer, so he packs so much stuff tightly into his statements, and that's true. You don't get awe until you cultivate a sense that God is very great and you are very small. You don't get the awe until you cultivate the sense that God is very great and you are very small. As we see in Psalm 23, the shepherd looms tall in your face, so to say, and the sheep is the, the, the non-conspicuous one there. It is this kind of knowing God that led visually impaired Fanny Crosby to sing, uh, detailing vividly a scene that many people who have eyesight probably can't even write. Fanny Crosby wrote this, A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasures I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. What thoughts or idea come to your mind when you hear the Lord? The right knowledge of God is essential for each of us. So pursue knowing God. I know my time is flying. So let's go to the next one. The second aspect of God that the psalmist brings to us is this, that he is eternally present. The Lord is, is as an understood verb in there, is attached to the subject of the Lord. 
the Lord, as we read, I am who I am, eternally present, eternally self-existent, uncaused, the first cause. All of that is loaded into that word. The Lord is. The Lord is always present. Only for us humans who we are time-bound, exists the idea of God in three different senses. God was and God is and God uh, will be. But in God, in, for, for God, from his vantage point, there is no such thing as was and will be. It is always present. He is eternally present. <clears throat> I am who I am. We see an active and present God throughout biblical history. Abraham experienced God's presence through his conversations and communion with him. But most importantly, when he took up the, 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 the knife to kill his son, he experienced God right there with him. Jacob experienced God as he was uh, fleeing from his brother on a, on, 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 on a desert road uh, to, on the way to, to Haran. And he used a stone to sleep and to the point where he experienced God in such a way that he had to name the place Bethel, house of God. Beginning with the burning bush and the wilderness journey, you know Moses experienced God in a very special way. The Israelites had the visible pillar of God, uh, the pillar of fire and the, and the pillar of cloud showing the presence of God. The experience of the prophets were not any different. But the exclamation point of God being present in our life is Emmanuel, God with us. John wrote, the son who is in the bosom of the father exegeted him or explained him, explained the father to us. He also said he tabernacled or pitched his tent amongst us. Son declared him to us. He is Emmanuel. As we look at the rest of the Psalm 23, it's sprinkled profusely with the idea of a very present God. Let's look at that. How masterfully David pens this idea. He lets me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside uh, quiet water. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We have a shepherd who is always with us. He did not, he, he, did he not promise later on and in, in the pages of the prophecies? Lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you. Neither will I forsake you. He can't, he can't go against his word. So he is with us all the time. Isaiah wrote it more eloquently. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Amen. And that is our God. He is very present. Even as we go through such such difficult time as our brother who has gone home to be with the Lord. In, in our times of, of leanness, in the times of financial leanness, in the times of sickness, in the times of the heights of joy, in the times of all, in any situation that we, each of us, we go through, each of us who are his sheep that, that we go through, he is right there with us. We never have to ask the question, Lord, where are you? We do. We ask that. 
because we are humans, but he is there with you. Why is that? Because we bring fetters and layers of obstructions around us which obscure the presence of our God in us. But what we need to do is by knowing God, by pursuing to know God, we peel off those obstructions so that we can recognize that he was always there. David once again portrays the Lord's presence eloquently by asking rhetorically this question, where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live in the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me up. That's our God. He cannot be, by his nature, be away from us. He paid a precious, valuable price to reconcile us back to himself, his own son's life. A a person's value is determined by what is paid to ransom them back. We are special people. Because the God of heavens, the creator himself, decided to ransom us. And he is always with us. Do you know and experience God's presence this way? We had a tough time through the last few years feeling his presence, knowing his presence in our, our lifetime. But when we decided to peel away, and with the ministry of CBC, peel away the, 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 the layers of, that obscured him, we feel him every day. You look at, you look at the sunshine, you look at the sunset, you look at, you look at dirt, you look at greenery, you look at anything, you can see the overwhelming presence of God through his natural revelation. We look at, you, you start reading your, uh, reading the scripture, you see God is the central subject, grand subject of that book. You see it every, every day. And then when you are with people who love the Lord, you feel him right there with you. God is ever present. So practice the presence of God. The third point I want to make is the living in intimacy with God. He is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. The shepherd motive is a common one that we see throughout the scripture. It is used in connection with bad ones and good ones. But the idea of leadership, protection, care, nurturing, all of that comes, that, that's packed into that idea of shepherding. The scriptures, uh, uh, the development of this motive is consummated in the ultimate great good shepherd when he claimed, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, John 10. And one of the greatest paradoxes I see in scripture is the idea of a slain lamb who is also the shepherd. It's like the Messiah and the suffering servant. And that, that theme goes through. And I kind of I don't know if I can give you a preview, but I think we are going to be looking at one of the best Gospels in the next few uh, weeks, and you will see a lot of paradoxes in there as well. So he is our slain lamb. If you read uh, Revelation 5 and 6 and on, you can see the slain lamb commands worship as he leads his people. 
Here in this psalm, David, who himself was a shepherd, describes his shepherd. Adonai is my shepherd. As I told before, he was running from Saul, who was actively pursuing to kill him. David felt safe and secure, knowing that Adonai is his shepherd. Awesome creator, the eternally present one, is his shepherd. Rich with his personal experience, he explains his experience as a sheep of the shepherd. And I want to quickly give you, um, quickly give you a couple of ideas about the shepherd theme. In the um, Judean terrain and the hostility of, of, of the arid land that it is, most of the year, the land is devoid of any vegetation, just brown. Uh, spring rains happen November through January, February sometimes. And then suddenly life happens everywhere. And, the, uh, and one of the prophets said, it's just like the, the little Eve lambs jumping up and down. Ken Bailey, who lived there as a missionary for many years, wrote a book on this. and He said, it takes some time for the parched earth to produce green pastures, not just the first rain. Usually green pastures only last three months of the year. So nine months you have brown, arid terrain. And the idea of shepherding, another account that he, he gives, the shepherd must plan his day around the availability of water in the middle of the day. Not in the morning, not in the evening, but in the middle of the day. In the winter, the lower, warmer pastures will be grazed, while the higher and cooler slope, slopes will be reserved for the heat of the summer. Traditional grazing rights, relationship between the tribes and what weight your tribe holds in, 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 the, in the society, all of those uh, plays into which shepherd gets the best green pasture. So in, uh, in stating God is my shepherd and he leads me to the green pastures, put all those things together that I, I was just saying. A good shepherd waits for that moment and takes his sheep. Again, this is not a flock now. One sheep takes it to the very best part of the green pasture so that it can be fed. And then the rest of the psalm says, fed to the point where it will drink water and lays down. Rest. That's what our shepherd does. Only a heart that is in tune with the Almighty can say that I lack nothing in what he provides for me. While glancing at the most imposing of hostility and treacherous strain that's in front of him. David knew his shepherd. Do you have such a relationship with God? Are you struggling to come to grips with such difficult, some, some difficult situations in your life? You can rest and feel confident when you know the Lord who promised to hold us and you are pursuing and that you know is always present with you and that you leave, peel away the obstructions and feel his presence. When you know such a Lord, you can shout out with confidence, Adonai is my shepherd. Just like a two-year-old. I have a two-year-old niece that we live with now. 
He says, it's mine. Everything in the house is mine. Mom is mine. Dad is mine. She calls me Apacha, means grandfather. Apacha is mine. Everything is mine. The Lord is my shepherd. I also want to point out that this is only possible for his sheep. This claim. Those who belong to him. If there's anyone sitting here who does not belong to him or are unsure of your relationship with him, that you're not his sheep, please do not leave today. Tom's here. All of us are here. Come to us. We may be able to help you peel away. There's a song that, that I like to hear, I used to hear. He washed my eyes with tears that I may see. And when he washed it and looked into my heart, the filth that I saw there, he helped me to clean it away. Maybe we can do that for you if you are not his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. As our dear sister and all of us are going through the human aspect of departure of a dear one. As some of you are probably out of a job. Some of you may be diagnosed with a disease that you didn't expect. Some of you may be going through other struggles. Isn't it comforting to know that the Lord is our shepherd? That he is there to take you through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there with me. Emmanuel. Knowing this Savior has been the best thing that ever happened to me. And it is the same thing that will happen to you all. And you can, you can, every one of us can testify that. Knowing this shepherd. So instead of praying and cl- closing, I've asked my brother to come and lead this song. Um, a wonderful Savior, Jesus, my, the, the one that I, I quoted before. As he gets ready to do that, think about the three things that we learned. Pursue knowing God. Practice the presence of God. And live in intimacy with God. And as you go away from here, feel him. Feel him all the, all the week through. May God richly bless you.